I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Friday the 13th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Brett, sometimes my day job and this podcast intersect, and this is one of those times there has been a data breach at the Ontario Cannabis Store, which is the province's wholesale distributor of cannabis in Ontario, and it's kind of a big deal. Someone leaked the data. I don't know how it got it, but it's a criminal matter now that has all the sales data for all the stores in all of the province, and it's now on Reddit and everybody has it. Who owns the store? What their store number license is? How much was sold in that in the month wow. of December? The inventory at the start of the month. So if you are good analysis, you know which stores are doing well, which ones aren't, and it's causing quite a ruckus in a fairly large industry. Well, I don't think we are criminally liable for simply reporting on the data that's been released. And so any highlights that you saw? I don't want to disclose anything that I've seen for fear. I, I don't think I'm going to incriminate myself, but people are, are looking into the details because some of this affects publicly traded companies that own cannabis retail stores. Yeah. And are their m numbers in Ontario matching up with what they're saying? So it has real implications on sort of publicly traded companies, but also this is, you know, provincial organization or a provincial uh, retailer. And they said it's a criminal matter and the Ontario Provincial Police are looking into it. So it is a big deal and it sort of affects a lot of sort of ground floor retailers as well as publicly traded companies. So it's uh, the intrigue is growing. Yeah, it definitely. That's actually an interesting angle on the publicly traded companies. I'll tell you this, though, as somebody who walks up and down Queen Street almost every day, I could probably tell you how they're doing right. you know, just <laughs> by seeing just by seeing who's walking in and out. And I'll tell you this. They're all doing bad. Uh, I don't see anyone going into these stores, which is crazy because people thought there's gonna be this explosion of activity in the space. And there's like it, these places are usually empty. Like once in a while, I'll see someone going in and out, especially Queen Street West and West Queen West in Toronto. There are sometimes more stores than people on the street and it's I, going to be a challenging environment having nothing to do with this data breach it's, it's going to be a challenging time and i think we will see as many stores open as close over the next three six nine and twelve months so what, yeah. one question i had for you jay is how's it going in other places i know like outside of quebec yeah it depends i mean more canadians are buying more cannabis on the legal market that is good news for the industry overall and good news for the sort of policy goal of driving down the legacy market the challenge is there's also an infinite number of stores now. So that buying is spread across way more stores. So whether you are a producer or whether you are a retailer, it is tough sledding in this high profile industry. So it's really challenging, made even more challenging by the government authority in Ontario leaking all the data that they have. Yeah, it, well, it, they always said it would become a commodity. And here we are. It's a commodity. <laughs> here expected. we are. And, and, and this is sometimes when it intersects. Aside from a data breach on the Ontario Cannabis Store, Brett, what do we have for Peak Pals on this Friday the 13th? <laughs> well, actually, we have some scary stories. For our first story, Unstable Coin. For our second story, Mortgage Mania. And for our third story, SoftBank Tanks. I like it when you rhyme, Brett. For our first story, in the midst of a week packed with inflation concerns, stock market pressures, and the breakdown of popular stable coins, the volatility of cryptocurrency is on full display. Okay, Brett, as our resident crypto expert, want to break down what happened? You should see me on Tuesday, Jay. I was hunched over my laptop at 9 p.m. feeling like uh, trying to exit my position and all these like terrible stable coins I had. Anyways, cryptocurrencies have been hit hard by a sell-off across higher risk assets that prompted the sector's worst crash in years. Bitcoin fell 22% in May alone, which then snowballed as the world's largest stable coin, Tether. It just fell from its $1 peg. 
Concerns around the U.S. Federal Reserve tightening financial conditions to curb inflation has investors reverting back to lower risk assets, especially among traditional money managers that have only really recently entered the crypto space. Yeah. And with all the instability, investors are taking another look at these assets. And Tether has always had a questionable history in terms of how many reserves it actually holds and whether it truly is tied to the U.S. dollar. And so when Tether broke its peg, falling to 98 cents, it caused a ripple effect across digital assets because like all stable coins, it's intended to trade at a fixed value relative to a national currency. A Tether token is always supposed to be $1. And when it's not, it really undermines confidence in the, in the whole space. Now, Jay, do you want to give the Peak Pals a bit more background on stablecoins before we go any further? Sure, sure. Stablecoins are a pretty big deal in the cryptocurrency ecosystem because investors trust in their relative stability. Another prominent stablecoin, TerraUST, broke its peg after a series of large withdrawals last weekend and is now trading about half its supposed stable value. But the declines prompted <laughs> Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen to call on Congress once again to authorize the regulation of stablecoins, calling them a rapidly growing product that poses financial risks that require a consistent federal regulatory framework. And Jay, you want to tell the Peak Pals why they should care? Sure. As developers behind the cryptocurrencies scramble to cover their losses, they may never recover an investor trust that boosted the perceived value of their tokens, which would create a perfect scenario for regulators to start getting more involved. Regulators are going to regulate, Jim. <laughs> they will. For our second story, Canadian seniors are turning to reverse mortgages as they consider new ways to fund their retirement. One private lender, Equitable Bank, saw a 262% year-over-year surge in its reverse mortgage products last quarter. Okay, so Jay, before we get into whether this is a good idea or not, how does this reverse mortgage stuff work? Great question. A reverse mortgage is a loan that lets homeowners that are 55 plus with considerable home equity borrow against the partial value of their home in the form of a lump sum, a monthly payment, or a line of credit. The loans are easier to obtain than traditional loans. They are tax-free and mature when the borrower either sells their home or dies, where it becomes the estate's problem, but can be paid off earlier as well. I find this stuff all very grim. So Canada's astronomical housing prices have left some seniors pretty house-rich, but strapped for that cold, hard cash that we all crave, making reverse mortgages more attractive. Now, reverse mortgages have been long popular in the US and the UK, but they never really caught on in Canada in the same way since only two financial institutions are licensed to offer them. Sounds great. But some financial advisors are warning of the risks like rising interest rates, losing equity as loans accumulate, and problems loans can cause families upon the death of the homeowner. They also allow illicit lenders to prey on vulnerable people. And if we zoom out, and here's the noise, Jay, for you, there's a bigger trend at play. The largest portion of the population ever is set to pass the age of 65 in the coming years, dubbed the gray wave. I'm not sure who dubbed it that, but I'm on board, <laughs> which could boost reverse mortgages even further and leave millennials and Zoomers paying off the loans instead of actually inheriting their houses. So sounds like a pretty raw deal for Thanks. us. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, mom and dad. And for our final story, this time last year, it was all cherry blossoms and champagne showers for the globally recognized Japanese investor SoftBank as the conglomerate saw its biggest net profit ever last year. But what a difference a year can make. Yesterday, SoftBank posted its worst quarterly loss ever of $13.2 billion, affirming that the tech stock slump is really no joke. That's a rough, rough year, Brett. What happened to SoftBank? 
SoftBank is a crazy fund. So SoftBank has been something of a kingmaker of tech stocks with monumental investments in companies like NVIDIA, DoorDash, and my former employer, Uber. I was actually there for the SoftBank investment. It was all very exciting. I was also there for the SoftBank top-up to keep the company going. The only problem, the value of tech companies is often hard to predict as many like Uber are not actually profitable. And until now, the wins have outweighed the losses. But now its primary fund lost $26.2 billion all on its own, meaning the company's biggest bets were by far its worst performers. Well, I don't need to remind anyone about WeWork. Uh, CEO Masayoshi-san said that SoftBank could potentially cut startup investments this year by over half as it looks to play things safe in an uncertain tech market, a move that other large investment firms like Tiger Capital are also taking. And here's why you, the Peak Palace, should care about SoftBank's performance. In recent years, tech companies with even a hint of promise have been rewarded with a seemingly endless stream of cash. And who could forget the time SoftBank said, sure, why not? And tossed a few hundred million to a company creating pizza-making robots. But with a lot this colossal from a fund this influential, it could be a sign that the era of frivolous tech investment is coming to a close. I think on Monday, Jay, we're going to talk about some of SoftBank's greatest hits in terms of their investments. So that'd be a fun, that'd be a fun intro. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, I'll say it because last time I did not curse it. We are recording this on Thursday night. Go Leafs, go. Go Leafs, go. You know the drill. You know the drill. Let's win it tonight and party in the streets. How's that? Have a good day, Brett.